Hey, hey, good day, Lincoln. How's it growing with you? Hope you're having a great day so far on this Wednesday. Believe it or not, June 8th already. My, oh my, hi, this is Bob H. I'm with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. You have tuned into How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection only here at KZUM Lincoln. All right, people, man, what a top 10 play hooky kind of day, right? It just kind of makes you want to go <laughs> soak it all in. Beautiful rain last night. Hopefully you didn't get any hail where you're at. I know, uh, well, some friends, Mike, I'm talking to you to the east of us near Cook and Johnson. Man, they got they got hammered with some hail. And and then uh, north of us near Ceresco and uh, Wahoo, places like that, they got hail. And other places probably got hail too. So you can count your blessings. But uh, I think I had around an inch in my gauge at home last night. And uh, so nice rain once again. We'll take it, right? And, of course, it ushered in beautiful next couple of days for us here. The heat is going to be returning, though, and coming our way, I imagine, right around the corner. I'm headed to Shadron, Nebraska, right after the show. I want to give a shout-out to Lucinda Mays talking last week from Shadron State College. Going to be going out there to celebrate Wildflower Week. It's still in the midst of Wildflower Week, folks, where we celebrate Nebraska wildflowers. Great places to see the wildflower beauty out western Nebraska and the Panhandle and, uh, you know, Pine Ridge, places like Scott's Bluff Monument. Awesome places if you're a wildflower buff and enthusiast. Make sure you make plans because, man, early June is a great time to see it. Of course, with wildflowers, they don't bloom very long. Uh, so uh, we call it a prairie birthday, or at least Aldo Leopold kind of coining his phrase. You know, who's, whose birthday is it today, right? <laughs> And, uh, man, the spider warts are a group of plants that I want to chat about just a little bit before my guest calls in. I have uh, Heidi uh, Mosleen calling me. She's the outreach and communications coordinator with uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So looking forward to hearing from Heidi here coming up uh, in a little while. So uh, that should be fun. But, yeah, I just wanted to talk about spider wart a little bit Uh the spider warts are a plant. Well, people kind of love them or hate them, right? And so, um, you know, I tell you what, uh, I, I love them because they're so tough. And we have a number of species native to Nebraska, including the Ohio spider wart. And the Ohio spider wart, well, of course, has Ohio in the name, but uh, a great Nebraska wildflower. There's one called Bracted spider wart. There's one called Dwarf spider wart. Oh, and then there's a western spiderwort, believe it or not, uh, that grows in the panhandle. It's a little bit different from all of them. They're all affectionately known as cow slobbers to ranchers back in the day. And uh, if you squeeze out the juice, the mucilaginous juice, uh, like kind of pluck a stem and squeeze it and kind of put your finger against that juice, you'll feel it's kind of slimy, kind of like aloe vera uh, on the inside. And so that uh, that juice... Had a, re had a use, uh, believe it or not. Pretty much any native plant to Nebraska had a use by our native peoples. And uh, the, the mucilaginous juice of spiderwort was actually rubbed on moccasins and other things to waterproofing, for waterproofing. So they would kind of squeeze that juice out and rub it on there to keep the moccasins from uh, deteriorating uh, in the weather. So that's a pretty cool thing to learn. And spiderwort gets its name for if you do squeeze that juice and kind of touch it with your finger and pull it away, it kind of pulls away in a, in a long strand, kind of looks like a spider web, hence the name um, spider wart. And W-O-R-T, and any plant that names, ends in that name, W-R-T, spider wart, um, has a long history of medicinal use. And man, I should have looked it up, but the Ohio spider wart, completely edible, believe it or not. I've not uh, tried it yet. It's on my bucket list, but 
it has an edible, it's an edible green and it can be cooked or eaten fresh. Um, so who, who would have thunk it, right? So spiderwort, don't leave it out of your plant list. And pollinators love them too. So we're after helping pollinators all about it on this show. And we're going to talk about it on the show today with Holly. And uh, I think this is Holly on the line right now. Hello, Holly. Hello, Bob. How are you? Pretty good. Can you hear me fine? Yes, I can. Awesome, awesome. You're coming in loud and clear as well. I appreciate you joining me today. Now, Holly, before I trash your last name, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Is it is it Moslin? Moslin. Moslin. Okay, very good. Darn it, I knew I'd get that wrong. <laughs> Moslin, okay, very good. Everybody does, no worries. Hey, no worries, right, Holly? Well, hey, Holly, uh, tell me, uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, how long have you been with them as the Outreach and Communications Coordinator? I'm sitting right about two and a half years, and so uh, December 1st is when I was originally hired, so just about to celebrate three years. Oh, cool, cool. So where did you, uh, did you grow up in Nebraska? Did you, uh, what was kind of your, uh, your career before you chose uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever? So I am a native Nebraskan, born and raised, uh, grew up in Grand Island, but bounced around the state quite often. So I've lived in Lincoln, Omaha, North Platte, returned to Grand Island a couple of times, and I'm currently in Kearney. In Kearney, that's yeah. where your house is. All right. Well, cool, yes. cool. Well, again, so, I, I, um, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, the other part of your question is... Uh, I am a partnership with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and Nebraska Environmental Trust. And before I took this position, I was working in the state park system with Nebraska Game and Parks. Okay. Um, checked people in and out of Fort Kearney at the Historical Park and Recreation Area. Did some time at Ponca and was an environmental educator, so I was one of the park naturalists. Oh, cool, cool. Oh, man, big fan of Ponca State Park. Uh, when we were, I grew up in northeast Nebraska in a little town called Dodge, Nebraska, and that's not Dodge City, Kansas. People that's near West Point, Scribner, and people usually say, oh, I know where you're at. But uh, anyway, that was kind of our family uh, gathering was uh, going up to Ponca State Park. So beautiful park, people. If you haven't been there yet, put it on your bucket list. Uh, all the state parks and and Fort Kearney uh, being a historical park that it is a great time to go there and and a lot of times what leads people to Fort Kearney is the cranes right to to see the crane during crane season absolutely so uh, the cranes concentrate in 45 miles of river in between Grand Island and North Platte uh, but Kearney is one of the main points where you can view them and so we have the center where we'll help you figure out the best plan and the best locations. Um, and we have river access right there at that recreation area. So you can walk across two different bridges on the Platte River and watch the cranes fly right over top of you. And more than just the cranes, just the whole early spring um, bird migration is really, really popular for early in the year. And uh -huh. then uh, throughout the summer at the historical parks, they actually have reenactors that come out that talk about the lives of the soldiers and the pioneer women and men um, that come through. And so it, it's a great overall experience uh, throughout the year that attracts everybody to those parks. No doubt. That is, that's really cool to hear. And, and uh, yeah, so 
bouncing around different parts of the state. Now, I'm curious, have you uh, found yourself with your current position or past positions being out in any of the state parks in the Panhandle? Because I was just telling the listeners before the sh- before I came on with you that I'm headed out to Shadron after the show, so I'm excited to see uh, the Pine Ridge and, uh, uh, gosh, the Panhandle again. It's been pre-COVID since we were able to go out like three years ago, so uh, finally we're making it out. Absolutely. The parks out there are absolutely beautiful. So there's over 77 parks in the state. And so that's my bucket list is I want to visit each park, recreation area, wildlife management area. I want to visit all of them at least once. Too cool. And so always check it out. If you have an area that you're going to go, hop on the, the Outdoor Nebraska website and see what's nearby because there, I mean, you have Toadstool Park out there, you have Shadron, you have Lake Minotaur, you have Fort Robb. There are so many places to go and just enjoy the natural beauty that the state has and understand what happens here in the state. So many of them are tucked away in beautiful little areas, and native Nebraskans have no idea that they're there or right. that they're a part <laughs> of our Nebraska heritage and history. So definitely check it out, and there's a public atlas online that you can use as an interactive map and figure out exactly where those locations are at. Yeah, that's really cool that you have it as a bucket list. You know, some people keep life lists for birds and how many different bird species. That You're like, man, my one of my bucket lists is also how many state parks have I been to and wildlife management areas. So you're saying combined state parks, wildlife management areas, there's there's 77 or is it more if you add the two together? Probably more. Uh, right? you, if you add the two together, there's more. So there's 77 state parks and recreation areas in Nebraska. And if you add those WMAs, those wildlife management areas on top of it, even more right probably like another hundred man it seems like there's a ton of them and i think those are you're right little hidden gems that uh like if you're visiting an area you know check it out see what's uh see what's nearby and man my guess is you're going to be glad you did and so so that's awesome and 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 all of us should be doing that and 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 a lot of us are guilty of that uh, that uh gosh you think you know nebraska and of course if you know Nebraska just by that strip that uh, called the interstate, you just you got to get off it. You know, plain and simple. So when we're heading to Shadron, well, we're going to take the interstate probably to Ogallala, and then we're going to take that road. There's a, a windy, curvy road that heads up north towards I think Hyannis. I can't remember, but anyway, it looks like a good twisted turning road, right? <laughs> so that's the one we're going to take. Uh, I, I don't want to take back roads all the way there, right? Because it's a heck of a drive. But anyway. That's kind of our plan. Yeah. Yeah. So a great way to start if you if you don't want to look at at the public atlas and get overwhelmed with the metal location is there's this thing called the Nebraska Passport yeah. uh, done by the Nebraska Tourism and it gets you on some of those back roads. I mean, you're still going to take the highways in the interstate, but um, a special part of those this year is there's an animal sightseeing tour um, within that Nebraska Passport, and that's a great way to start and dip your toes into these these back areas that are those hidden gems. So definitely recommend trying that out, especially if you're taking that trip to Shadron. There's quite a few stops that you can make, and you get prizes for however many stops that you make. So definitely recommend that to all the, the listeners today and to yourself, Bob. 
You know, right? It's just like going, all right, we'll turn that seven-hour drive into a 10-hour drive, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just see. We'll, we'll see how, how it goes. It's just like it's a moving target even getting out of town here, but that's a whole other story, a whole other day. Um, all right, so, Holly, tell me, uh, uh, I'm on Nebraska or Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever uh, website, and you have a great website, lots of things on here from events, and uh, one of the main reasons I brought you on the program today is to talk about your events that you guys host. And uh, I think one of the, let's see, one of the things you do is called Habitat Tours. Tell us a little bit about that, how our listeners can maybe attend and, and find out information about your Habitat Tours. Yes. So the Habitat Tours, um, we do every year. And sometimes we start as early as April, May and run all the way through September. Sometimes we go even outside of those months, but the majority of our habitat tours take place between June and early September. And what those are, are their free events um, brought together by all of the wonderful habitat partners that we have here in the state. So Nebraska Game Parks, Nebraska Environmental Trust, we have the Nature Conservancy, the Sandhills Task Force. There, there are over a dozen partners that come together to bring these habitat tours um, across the state. So we were talking about the Panhandle. We have a couple going on here uh, mid to late June where we're going to be discussing specific Panhandle items. So, like, we have uh, where the heck are the pheasants? So we talk about factors that influence pheasant numbers and what uh, landowners and urban populations can do to help make them more resilient towards things that uh, affect their population. And so that'll be a workshop coming up here on June 23rd. We have a program on the 21st of maximizing profits and CRP. So we have the conservation reserve program that can be a little bit of a beast to navigate, yeah. but our biologists here in the state are here to help you navigate that. And cool. so several of our programs focus on helping you understand the programs that are available to help increase your bottom line, as well as create habitat across the state of Nebraska. So those are just a few coming up there. Um, and then we have some fun ones that we like to throw in rather than just being fully informational. We have Twist Off Thursday tour that's coming up. That'll be in Imperial, Nebraska. And that's a fun little one where we tour habitat, talk about some of the plants that are native in the area, um, and have some beverage tastings for some adults um, going on and some make and take projects. Um, so fun, crafty experience, social hour, while learning about our native plants here in the state. We have birds and brews coming up in Lincoln. That's going to be a trivia night where we talk about our songbird populations and our upland game bird species. Oh, cool. Um, just, I mean, I have four or five more here on the list that are going on. So be sure to hop on there. And again, these are all free. You register via our website. Um, and then we send you the details and where you're going to meet and what time or some of these being outside. We'll let you know if we have to move things around to our, to our Nebraska wonderful weather. Uh, but they're fantastic events where you can connect with people who are like-minded in conservation efforts and just have a great experience going through this. Yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. Like I'm I'm looking at the birds and brews, for example, coming up on July 12th at the uh, Corn Coast Brewing here in Lincoln, 
and uh, you're going to talk about bird populations are on the decline. I've certainly had bird experts on the show before talking about the declining numbers. You know, is it due to habitat loss? And generally, that is number one on the list is habitat loss. And I think a lot of people think, well, what are you talking about? I see, I see lots of trees in Lincoln, and I see lots of grass in the road ditch. Uh, what do you mean by habitat? And, you know, one thing, too, I want to mention to people, you know, it's called Pheasants Forever, and I know some people might be thinking, well, if you guys are improving habitat, you're doing it for an introduced bird. And it's like, well, okay, that's fine. But uh, the, the introduced bird is also, and in, in doing conservation efforts for that bird is obviously going to benefit all other wildlife around all the all of our native species as well because you know folks we 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 love the mower we love the almighty mower and we mow a lot of our grass or we destroy it and uh, turn it to cropland or you know we build houses on it but who's doing the efforts to improve our habitat well pheasants forever and quail forever is doing a bang-up job and holly you had sent me an email uh saying um you just have crossed the seventh million acre of of uh, is it is it improving prairie or planting prairie or what does that mean when you when you said seventh it's habitat habitat improvements in general so throughout our history of being the Nebraska pheasants forever and quail forever we have improved seven million acres so we've had our hands um, in improving whether that be helping with woodland encroachment reducing eastern red cedars returning um, or restoring native prairies. These are all different types of projects. And I'm glad you brought up that uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever are our name and how we do so much more. If you ever see any of our logos around, you'll see that there's a statement underneath that name, Pheasants Forever, and it's the Habitat Organization. Well, we may be focused or named after the pheasant or the quail, everything starts with habitat first and it's not just for our game bird species that we may like to pursue while hunting it's for the songbirds it's for the insect population it's for our deer for our um our raptor species here in the state our reptiles everything benefits when we put habitat first and so like you mentioned we love to mow and we love to to keep our nice weedless uh, lawns intact, but our, our populations of birds and insects, everything needs those native species to, to thrive. And when we can work with urban populations and return some backyard churches or schools, we do a lot with pollinator projects with schools, like our milkweed in the classroom, all of it is to put native landscapes back on the ground and by doing that people get to see the enjoyment and see how much wildlife returns when we're able to green up that landscape um, other than the manicured lawns that we have and that's really really key it's easy to forget that we're more than just a hunting organization we are the habitat organization that helps urban people as well as uh your working lands, your ranchers, your farmers, anybody with private land, we, we do a lot of that work and we accomplish that because there are individuals here in Nebraska and families and generations that want to see a wild landscape again. And we wouldn't be able to do it without all these, these private landowners. And so that 7 million acre component has just been 
fantastic through all of our partnerships and working with the landowners that we have here in Nebraska. Yeah, no doubt. That is it's really cool to hear and, and uh, keep up the great work. And yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the habitat, uh, you know, it, it's it's one thing to say, oh, oh, yeah, we're, we're out there and we're, we're improving habitat, but planting prairie. So you guys are actually doing plantings for homeowners or landowners as well, where you're actually... Um, doing a getting a prairie mix of, of seed and uh, and going through and drilling that or, or do you do that as well for homeowners uh, so yes and no we work with the landowner to build a plan for what they're looking for on their landscape so for a lot of uh, cattle ranchers in the sand hills it's to increase increase those um, increase those aspects of better yields off of the grasslands that they have so if you have a lot of eastern red cedars on your habitat you're actually losing weight on your cattle and decreasing your potential profit. So we work with you to restore that that native prairie and increase your, your grassland yield so that your cattle will do better. But not only are we helping your cattle, we're helping our native upland population of songbirds and our prairie chickens. Our prairie chickens are really dependent on those grassland species. Mm. And so by helping the, the ranchers in the area, and their cattle, we're also helping that, that prairie chicken and the songbirds that call those grasslands home. So by doing that, we have um, we help them select the native seed options that are best for their their goals, whether it be for those cattle or if they want to plant some more pollinator species. We help them to build those. We help them to prepare the land, um, whether that be through prescribed fire management, mechanical cutting, chemical treatments, um, to control those invasive species. We help with all of that. And our local chapters for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, many of them have no-till drills. And so you can rent those at a discounted cost and do the work. Um, so you have to do it on your on your own in that aspect, but you have the support up to that point. Gotcha. And so it's, it's a great method for, for working with all of those partners to put that landscape on the ground. Yeah, because I'm curious, like, you know, if we think about Lancaster County area, you know, there's there's acreage owners, um, and, man, I, I'll see somebody that, oh, maybe they got five acres, maybe they got whatever. Um, a lot of times it's just mowed grass, and it's like, man, they got to be spending all their time on the mower. And, and so I'm curious, do you guys help out landowners that have smaller plots of land like that, or is, is there a minimum size or whatever? We'll work with any landscape. So we have a program called Pathways for Wildlife. And through that, we have three different avenues that you can take. So we have the Pathways for Grassland Improvement, which is those larger scale projects where you're just looking to diversify your native grasses um, and work with prescribed fire for, for utilizing that number of that uh, management practices. And, um, our, our native grasses have adapted to working with fire. So without fire on the landscape, we actually lose some of those native native plants. Um, and so that's one avenue. The next avenue is our precision agriculture component. And now that's limited to the rainwater basin um, and some of the surrounding communities or counties around York County. Okay. Um, but that's working with uh, people who may not be able to convert it into entire prairie, but can leave it in for up to a year. And so this is where we work with 
cover crop components. So we're increasing soil health, reducing erosion by planting um, plants that are going to benefit that soil could potentially be harvested uh, at the end of the contract and fed to cattle. But it's a really high diversity mix that is going to benefit the wildlife while it's being left in as well. And so that's the second avenue. And um, that one can have smaller acres or larger acres. We don't do a huge portion on that precision egg. Um, But the community habitat kind of goes into what you've been talking about, Bob, where we work with uh, community habitat in between one to five acres. So we're pretty flexible with those smaller um, acreages that are looking for benefits. And um, community habitat is a little more urbanized, but that pathway for wildlife program between those three avenues, we can work with landscapes on, on any size. So if you have less than an acre and are wanting to do projects like that, we're more than happy to work with you on any of those sizes and the goals that you have as a landowner. That's awesome to hear. And um, I'm looking at the clock, Holly. I'm going to have to take a break. I'm going to keep you on the line. We have a few uh, uh, station announcements here, and I'll keep you on the line. And when we come back, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about a fun event that you are partnering with with Kimmel Orchard coming up in July. And uh, what is it called again? Pollinators and produce. So let's let's talk about that when we come back. And uh, en- enjoying our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Holly. Okay, welcome back to the show. It's 1135. I hope you're enjoying this fantastic Wednesday. Here it is on How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection today. We're connecting with pheasants forever and quail forever. Holly, thank you again for joining me today. Holly's the outreach and communications coordinator. And Holly, if uh, folks want to reach you, they can just find you on the website, right? Under contact us, I believe. Absolutely. So you can reach out to me there. You have my phone number or you can email me there. Any of your habitat needs, connecting with a biologist or talking about some of our events that we have coming up. Too cool. And one thing I want to mention to our listeners, they may not know, but an estimated 38,000 acres of Nebraska rangeland and forest are lost to eastern red cedar encroachment every year. Not just kind of a trip to kind of wrap your head around going, seriously, it's that much of an issue. And certain parts of Nebraska, you'll really see it. And I got to tell a little story, Holly. Uh, um, the Forest Service is doing prescribed burning and, and uh, you know, getting rid of eastern red cedars too. And I know they were tackling a big group of cedars south of North Platte. Because if you, if you ever drive out west towards North Platte and look to the south, those hills at one point in life weren't covered with evergreen trees. You see it from the road and you think, huh, look at that pretty hill back there with all the pine trees. No, those are all eastern red cedars and they are packed in there like sardines. And I know they did some burning there and I don't think they seeded it right away or something, but what was fun to see or hear, I should say, was the big blue stem. There was like grass that was suppressed by the growth of the eastern red cedars. And once they were removed, it like the prairie came right back again. And the local landowners that were nearby that were kind of skeptical of this fire business going on, because, you know, you say fire in Nebraska ranch, uh, ranch land, you know, it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a scary deal. So they, of course, heard from this rancher that did have, was a part of that burn. And, uh, of course, uh, 
they were basically listened because of the the cattle now had uh, land, more land to graze on that they weren't able to graze before. So it basically fattened the cows, and that got their attention. <laughs> Is that what you typically see? Yeah, we see a lot of that where, and it, it is scary. Um, for for years, we were talking about fire suppression, and especially this year, we've had quite a few fires that have gotten out of hand and, and risked a lot of people's homes. Uh, but fire can be used for a good purpose. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of our native plants actually thrive off of that. Mm-hmm. So like you mentioned, by getting rid of that eastern red cedar cover, we allowed for those grasses that couldn't get the sun that they needed to grow or pop up. They were able to do that, and we saw a dramatic change in the landscape. And we see that with a lot of our partners. And the best way that we see our habitat components is when a landowner does the work, sees the benefits of the programs that we have, and then talks to their neighbors and starts to get them on a a larger scale. So we actually have, that's why we do our habitat tours. And we have a few this year where we're bringing people who were skeptical at first of our programs, did them, and then got all their their neighbors in on the project and accomplished goals on a much larger landscape. And so if you ever have any questions, join us at those habitat tours or talk to some of our biologists. We'll put you in touch with people who have seen success through the programs that we have. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And people talk, you know, you pay attention to what your neighbor's doing. That's that's kind of the Nebraska way, you know. <laughs> so if your, your neighbor says, this is a great program and look what it's done for my land and you can have this too. And then the more dots we connect, the, the more we can get to to improving habitat of course we can improve numbers then improve songbird numbers obviously improve uh you know hunting opportunities for people and you know outdoor education just all sorts of cool stuff and and so you guys partner with a bunch of different groups as you mentioned at least a dozen if not more right and and so you're partnering with kimmel orchard and uh is did i'm curious did kimmel orchard contact you guys about setting up this i know it's called women on the wing pollinators and produce and that's july 17th folks uh put that on your kzum calendar women on the wing pollinators and produce july 17th from one till five and that is going to be held at kimmel orchard and kimmel K-I-M-M-E-L. If you haven't been there yet, you need to put that on your bucket list. Just north of Nebraska City, just outside of Nebraska City, a rich history there at Kimmel Orchard and Vineyard. And they've been around, and our buddy uh, Vaughn Hammond is uh, used to work there. And, uh, you know, we've had Vaughn on the program when he's been at Kimmel, and just a, a cool place. And they have their Strawberry Harvest Festival. You pick strawberries coming up here in late June. So just check their calendar to see when that starts. And then the Cherry Harvest Festival is coming up also in late June. So they have a big, um, I mean, a huge grove of cherries. I think they went with the Montmorency variety. And I didn't realize they had that many sour cherries there. But my, oh, my, if you're a cherry fan like, uh, like we are, put it on your bucket list to go harvest cherries as well and then i think they do blackberries in the uh, later on in the summer so just a yeah blackberry harvest festival is typically in late july to mid-august and then they have the asian pears in september finally of course we can't leave out apples in late august through october so all sorts of opportunities but there's an event coming up the the women on the wing pollinators and produce so what is this event all about So this event is really focusing on the importance of pollinators in our lives. 
uh, it's it's easy to go, ooh, a spider or the caterpillars, and it's easy to admire the butterflies, but our, our native bees, our bumblebees that may uh, create some fear in some of our individuals, they are extremely important, especially if you like those cherries and those apples and the strawberries. Pollinators are crucial to our lifestyles and what we like to eat and products that we have. And so this event is really going to focus on different aspects of it. And so it's called Women on the Wing. Uh, it is geared a little more towards women, but men, you're fully welcome to come. We have no boundaries here. Everybody <laughs> is, is welcome to attend this event. Um, it's going to be a social hour with some um, uh, educational information going on. So we'll cover topics like the importance of pollinators. Uh, the UNLB lab has some um, bee apiaries or beehives out on Kimmel Orchard property. So they're going to be doing a discussion on the importance of the honeybees that are there and talk a little bit about our, our native bees that we have here in the state. Kimmel Orchard also participated in our Pathway for Wildlife um, Community Habitat. So they have Pheasants Forever uh, partnered native prairies okay. on their property. And so we'll be touring some of those, talking about plant identifications and different types of habitat improvement options that are available. And then uh, Barbara Sabatoire, who's on your show quite often on How Grows It, um, who discusses the native plants and their uses, she will be doing a demonstration on um, identifying some of the plants and understanding how they can be utilized and how you can harvest them here in Nebraska and uh, help allergies or get some benefits to your body uh, via those native plants. And so there's going to be awesome time, lots of different learning opportunities focused around our native plants and pollinators. And then we'll get to taste some of the products that the pollinators bring to us by just being around. Um, and so we'll have some of those those wines and those ciders that uh, Kimmel Orchard will supply. And we do have non-alcoholic options for those who are 20, under 21 and want to join us. Mm -hmm. So any ages are welcome, any gender. Join us. It's going to be a fantastic event on July 17th from 1 to 5. That's cool. And, uh, and Barbara, if you're listening, Barbara Salvatore, she is on the show next week. So how's that for a segue? That was pretty pretty cool. So, yeah, I had heard that she's going to be speaking there. So I'm imagining when Barbara's uh, talking about plants and their uses, this is going to be not an indoor thing. It's going to be like out walking around or what? Do you know? It's a little bit of both. So we'll, we'll have the, the education, the Kirk Education Center available where we'll start out do some introduction. Then we'll head outside for those habitat tours and visit the apiaries, the beehives, and then um, the tastings and some of the other discussions will be inside. So even if it's a, a wonderful Nebraska hot summer day, <laughs> uh, we'll have some relief there inside that Kirk Education Center at Kimmel Orchard. Oh yeah, you're, you're right. July 17th, 1 to 5 p.m. You, uh, you're definitely going to order a 72 degree day with a nice little light breeze. Out of the, no, 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 it's probably, probably going to be hot. So, uh, but yeah, you'll be able to find uh, comfort in uh, the, the beautiful education center that is at Kimmel Orchard. So yeah, that sounds like a, a fun event and, uh, and folks do need to register, right? To attend that event. Yes. So please register that way we can ensure that we have enough of the, 
the products available, whether that be the drinks or uh, with Barbara providing some of the drinks uh, that she will be making, as well as us buying some additional things for you to taste. Um, please register so we can get a proper count so that everybody will be able to fully experience this event. And uh, I have a flyer available. You can look that up online. Or you, like you said, you can contact me directly and I'll get you that registration link. And we'd, we'd love to have you come out to the event. Yeah, because I see I'm on Kimmel Orchard's website now and they have uh, they have it there. And uh, But when I try to click on the register online, it does not do it for me but i'm not that's probably user error <laughs> knowing me that's probably user error. you know chewing junk gum and walking at the same time but no anyway uh it, it sounds like a cool event and uh kudos for you guys for partnering on that and giving people an opportunity to see what a, you know because you know you have these uh tours that you do um but uh it's a little bit different here in that people are going to be in a public situation where they can actually see habitat that was created and what it has done for Kimmel Orchard. I imagine there's going to be folks there talking about, well, including UNLB Lab that says because they've added this prairie portion uh, adjacent to Kimmel Orchard or around Kimmel Orchard, um, it has improved our our B survivability. It's improved because I'm convinced, Holly, that a lot of our native plants and what Barbara is going to be talking about is their health benefits for these humans. Well, with with habitat loss, sure we have flowers out there. Sure, there's some ro- flowers in the road ditch, but the flowers that the pollinators were hitting. Um, was much more diversified back in the day, and we're trying to get back to that. So it's a diverse mix of different uh, nectars that the the bees are feeding on. So you can't just say, people, that nectar is nectar, it's nectar, it's all sugar water. Well, these nectars have, um, you know, uh, essential oils in them as well. And I'm convinced that the the prairie plants that you guys are doing in your restorations and uh, habitat improvements, those additional forbs, wildflowers, that you're adding is improving the health of our our native bees obviously improving habitat for just reproduction but also the health of the bee um, f- to raise a successful brood because without uh, an, an, an improved immune system just like us humans they're going to get that improved immune system through a multitude of different flowers rather than taking honeybees to an almond orchard and say, okay, guys, do your work, right? Treating them, treating them like labor and saying, do their work. They don't get the diversified habitat that, that you can only get really from a prairie, right? Yeah. It, so it's, it's similar. There's very few humans that would like to eat the same thing every day. And so our, our pollinators are the same way, having a diverse opportunity, a diverse buffet of different types of of pollinating flowers is beneficial for them. But it's not just the flowers, um, it's the structure. So a lot of our our native uh, pollinators, our our bees, will actually use the stems of dormant plants to hide their larvae over the winter. And so when we say leave it for the bees, um, in an urban landscape where we're leaving the leaves and we're leaving our um, domestic or native plants up in our garden and not cutting them down every year, that's extremely beneficial because moths and bees are using those stems to go dormant over the winter. That's what's protecting them from completely freezing. And so having that diverse mixture 
available for them year round, whether it be the flowers in the in the summer through the blooming period to the dormant plants in the autumn and throughout the winter, having that there not only creates, increases the diversity of the pollinators that we have, but the health of them. If we remove all of that, we lose that pollinator diversity and we lose the entire population that's in that area. So it's, it's more than just the blooming period. It's, it's entirely, uh, all of this is needed year round. Yeah, good point. And, you know, for for as long as I've been involved with public gardening, you know, the mantra is, so when do you cut it back? Do you cut back all this stuff in the fall or in the spring? And of course, we always said, oh, you leave it in, you leave it up, cut it back in the spring for winter texture. Honestly, back in the 80s and 90s, starting all this stuff, nobody ever talked about habitat for beneficial insects, because I think that's what people worried about. They'd wanted to cut it back in the fall because they thought, well, but I do I need to discard this because... Uh, certain entities would say, well, you might have diseases and, uh, and you know, insects that affect the health of your garden, meaning the, the bad insects, uh, overwintering. And so if you cut it back in the spring, you're not going to have that. And I'm like, Ugh, we don't, we, and I say that collectively at the statewide, our readings like, no, no, you leave that up for winter habitat. And, and then also another thing that was common practice in public gardening is in the spring when you are cutting it back, we cut it back down to the ground, right? And just, and rake out all the old material, you know? Um, and then people put down wood chips after they lake, rake out all that stuff rather than just leaving it there to become mulch. And so you're saying, if you can leave it, um, the plants will come right up through it. Is that correct? It depends on the type. If you have the, the cultivated, sometimes it'll need some extra assistance. But yeah, your native stuff, will spring from a lot of the, the dormant stuff. The stems will fall over and it'll start growing through. And so leaving that a lot of that material there will help with anything that was dormant over the, the winter. And um, in addition to it, it it's going to be better for your soil. It's, it's going to turn into a compost rather than having to create your own. That's natural materials that'll be cycling through and Rather than putting those wood chips down, um, you'll have some of that material there where you'll have the slugs and the worms. Worms don't always burrow. They like to be under that decomposing leaf material um, where they're going to help break that down. And by putting those wood chips down, you can potentially harm our burrowing species of pollinators. So some of our bumblebees will create uh, burrows in the soil. And by putting those wood chips down, it's making it more difficult for them to be able to do that. And so by, by leaving it as bare soil as you can, you may have some additional weed work. Not all weeds are bad, um, but it'll be more beneficial for your garden in the long run and for the pollinators that we're working with to have those blooms available and healthy plants. No doubt. And, uh, you know, and, and speaking like of, of my place, what I've done, because yeah, it, it, it does... You know, people like to clean things up and tidy things up and make it look all spiffy in the spring. You know, oh, we've got a graduation. It can't look wild like this. I got to cut things back. Kind of the approach I use at home is I'll break my my weed whip and I'll cut things back. And by the way, it only takes me people less than, and I have very little lawn at home, big corner lot. And it probably only takes me 20 minutes to cut this stuff back because I pick and choose what I'm cutting back. And then I'll go around with my pruners, my hand pruners, and those plants that I know have what I call pithy stems or kind of like a soft spongy material inside the stem, 
I'll, 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 I'll leave those. I won't weed whip those to the ground, but I'll take my pruners and I'll cut them down to around, oh, knee high. And then it looks clean, but yet I know that I'm still leaving habitat. I'm not raking any of the last year's leaves, last year's stuff on the soil. That all stays. I haven't touched a wood chip at my home property in probably 15 years, frankly, because I got tired of mulching with wood chips. But uh, now I'm like going, you know, there's got to be a better way is what I decided at home. And uh, it really, really, uh, it it takes a a little step, right? You have to get it kind of used to that look. And then by now, with here we are sitting in early June, I can't even see the leaves anymore because the grass is, everything has come up through it. And I know I have mulch down there, so when we get an inch of rain like last night, I'm golden for a long time because of all the mulch that nature's mulch provided rather than wood chip mulch, right? Yeah, and you can also use these as educational opportunities. So like the Xerces Society, uh, Monarch Way Station, Monarch Joint Venture, they all have signs that you can put into these native-friendly gardens and have signs of like... uh, under construction or leave it for the bees and then it has educational information of oh it may look messy but it's actually more beneficial and so uh if you don't want to have those conversations with your neighbors or don't want to deal with the questions of oh why are you doing it you can purchase these signs that uh, then go back to the conservation of those species and help these conservation organizations and use those in your your lawn as educational opportunities yeah, I like that. That way, uh, if you get somebody walking by or driving by and they go, geez, that place looks kind of wild. I wish they would mow. And it's like, oh, then they see that sign and they're like going, oh, they're trying to do that. Cool. And, uh, you know, one yard at a time, one garden at a time. And because if you drive around Lincoln, people, we've got a long ways to go <laughs> when it comes just to, you know, improving habitat on the the local uh in the ground and, you know you could probably say the same thing about Kearney right you know drive down any neighborhood in Kearney you know one in a hundred people has maybe converted their yard to habitat right and so mm-hmm. 10 years from now we want to see that number be way up and more and more people adopting the uh, the garden approach uh, the, the landscaping for wildlife approach landscaping for uh, ecology you know uh, ecological services things like that versus landscaping for pretty pictures, right? And pretty flowers. Um, I think that we've come a long way. And if you need help getting started on our website, underneath our store, we have uh, about a hundred square yards of native seed that you can purchase to start your garden. And then during pollinator week coming up here um, in just a few more weeks here in June, Pheasants Forever on the national scale will be mailing out pollinator plugs, so pre-started plants. And it comes with the sign that you can put in your yard um, about the importance of those native plants and helping the pollinators. So be on the lookout for that. Um, And that's a great way to get started on a smaller scale if that's something you're looking for. Too cool. Yeah, that is uh, National Pollinator Week, right? Coming up, I think it's the third week in June, if I remember right, something like that, right? Yes. So it will be June 20th through the 26th. Too cool. All right. Awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Uh, you know, that, and, and so if folks want to, one, they can get in touch with you on the website, uh, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, but uh, can they follow on Facebook as well? Absolutely. We are on Facebook and Instagram. You just look for Nebraska PF. 
uh, and you'll be able to find us on Facebook and Instagram. And then we're also on YouTube where we do how to train videos as well. Oh, too cool. Yeah, because you have pre- pre- prescribed fire training. And so if I just went to YouTube and typed in Pheasants Forever, Nebraska, uh, wild wildfire uh, training or, or prescribed burning training, uh, they'll find opportunities for that? Yes, and we have seed harvest, uh, how to do it by hand, and uh, oh, cool. questions about pollinators as well. Too cool. Good work. All right, Holly, I want, I'm out of time. I got to head on out of here, and I appreciate your time. And on this fastest hour in radio, how's it growing? I appreciate you and all the work you do for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And, and uh, folks, you can uh, say hi to Holly uh, coming up as soon as the Pollinators and Produce event at Kimmel Orchard on July 17th. So put that on your calendar, check it out, and plan on attending. All right, Holly, thank you so much, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having us on, and you have a great rest of the week. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That is... uh Holly, Holly Muslin, I know I'm pronouncing your name incorrect, Holly, but I, I didn't get it in my brain well enough. But thank you so much for tuning in today, folks. Thanks for joining me and learning more about Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and the great work they do in our state. And uh, you have a great week, and uh, I'll see you here next week. We have Barbara Salvatore for Plant Stories and Life Medicines next week. Do stick around right here. Democracy Now! coming your way next. Have a great week. Adios. <laughs>